Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are taking a look at the book of Psalms, and this is lesson number four. We are on a journey to 13 lessons, and this is an exciting one. You are in for a real treat. We are looking at the Lord hears and delivers. If you've ever felt like maybe you had been forgotten, or seems like the Lord has forgotten someone or something, you're going to enjoy this week's lesson. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we want to thank you for being with us once again as you have so far. We ask that you'll bless our time together and help us to see how you are indeed a delivering God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our guest once again this week is Dr. Dragoslava Santrak. She is passionate about the book of Psalms, has written much about it, and has much to share. Slava, thanks for joining us once again. I'm happy to be here. So let me start this week a little bit differently. I love the memory text for this week. It is found in Psalm 34, verse 17, that says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Those are encouraging words. I mean, the Psalms is filled with encouraging words, but those are particularly encouraging. Why did you feel impressed for that verse to kind of lay the foundation for where we're going this week? Yes. So, Eric, you see, last week's uh, lesson, lesson number three, was about the Lord who reigns. We spoke about God as the king, creator, the one who is the judge, the lawgiver. And all these beautiful titles tell us many good things about God and give us reassurance. But we in theology say that these are more like transcendent. Uh, uh, characteristics of God. And, and people may relate to, to, to God in that way, thinking, oh, he's a king, judge, something far, creator, majestic, someone who is worthy of our worship, who is awesome, but perhaps could feel a little bit distanced because of his majesty. However, although God is majestic, he is by no means distant from his creation. And hence the, the, the almost logical continuation in our study that we come to the Lord hears and delivers. God reveals himself as someone who is close and someone who is near and who wants to have a relationship with us. He speaks to us and wants to hear from us. So he, he's our creator, our king, our judge, our savior, our lawgiver that we all talked about last week. But he's also near to us. How do we make that connection or how do we understand that connection that someone who is so high and lofty and powerful and above all, how does he connect with us? I mean, we, we feel at times rather small compared to a God like that. How does he bridge that gap? What's that look like? Yes. Well, I would simply say that's how God is. That's who God is. He's a loving and caring God. Um, very often we connect authority with distance and with maybe even uh, harshness. But God is uh, different. He's majestic, but at the same time he's close. And there is a paradox in the Psalms and in the rest of the Bible. We read that God is far and near at the same time. Uh, he dwells in his holy temple in heavens, but he's also present in his earthly sanctuary. So what seems to us maybe today in these modern times as a contradiction 
to biblical uh, 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 believers in those times made perfect sense because God is God, especially because we cannot put him in our uh, 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 boxes and theories of logics and rationality. But what is given to us to understand is very plain and clear that God is majestic, but he's also near and he is love. He cares. He did not just create us and leave the world to run by its laws, but he, as a good heavenly father, wants to have a relationship communion with us. So how do we experience that communion? We're, we're trying to identify with, I don't know if that's the right term, but identify with a God who is majesty. How do we experience that nearness that he wants to experience with us? How do the Psalms help us to make that connection that we really do need in order to make it through this life? Yes, I believe that it is when we read the Psalms, we pray the Psalms, sing the Psalms, that it is the Holy Spirit, God himself, who joins us in that activity, who comes close to us and touches our heart and also opens our eyes to see. Uh, if you ask me how that happen, happens, I don't have a mathematical formula. It is like if you were to ask me how I fell in love with my husband. I could tell about the good things that he has done and achieved and, and his good looks, but that wouldn't be enough. There is something much deeper when we speak about relationships, and I think that that moment is achieved through the Holy Spirit. So then when we read in Psalm 139, the psalmist now gets this realization that God is everywhere. God is deep inside and deep above him. God knows him even before he was born. He says, my frame was not hidden from you. He says, when I go to sleep, you know where I am. When I'm up, you know, even if I go and hide myself in the depths of the sea, even there you will find me. And he does not say all these things with despair. Quite contrary, he finds peace and reassurance in the knowledge that God is so close to him that nothing, that, that nothing escapes God's uh, attention when it comes to his beloved child. So he is a God who cares. He's a God who desires to commune with us, to connect with us, to encourage us, to, uh, to help us in, in, in many different areas and, and experiences in our lives. And that's really, as you said, we tend to get this idea that, a, that power is, is lofty and distant. But God says, no, I, I'm, I'm all powerful, but I'm also right there and very interested in, in you. Uh, let me ask you a question of something else that you, you talked about in this week's lesson, and that's the sanctuary. How does the sanctuary kind of help us to understand uh, the experience that, that God wants to have with us, that nearness? A uh, sanctuary is just it's full of, of symbols and stories. What do we see in the sanctuary about God's desire to be close to us? Yes, sanctuary is a wonderful and very deep subject, not just in the Psalms. It's at the heart of the entire Bible. The sanctuary is the place where God dwells. You mentioned the various pieces of furniture and symbols that teach us the story of God's 
gospel of salvation from the entrance, being one entrance, one way that leads to life, Jesus, to that altar with the sacrifice. Again, Jesus is the Lamb of God who died for the forgiveness of our sins. And now when we are forgiven, there is a lever with water to wash us away and to clean our conscience. We enter into this holy place where we have this close communion with God. And when we enter there, we receive the gifts of God, His light that we need in this dark world, the bread to nourish us. Jesus said, I'm the light, I'm the bread. And then in the most holy place, is the seat of God's rule, his throne with his law. So there is this whole story of salvation. But for the psalmist, the sanctuary, apart from teaching these wonderful lessons of salvation, is also a place of refuge. We read in the Old Testament that people who unintentionally committed certain crimes could go and find refuge in the sanctuary and they would be protected. The sanctuary, the Psalms tell us, is the place where, where the father of the fatherless takes care, the one who takes care of the widows, of the hungry, of the poor. And for the psalmist, that's the place where he wants to abide forever and ever. So the sanctuary gives us a picture of God's desire to be, well, let them build me a sanctuary. So that I can dwell among them. That's it. And so he wants us to feel his nearness and sense it. And you mentioned the different elements of the, of the sanctuary. And you know, the one that I love is the, the altar of incense, you know, the, the prayers ascending before the father. It's all about that communion, about that connection that God wants to have with his children. And the book of Psalms goes through so many pictures of, of God and his care for us that he didn't just uh, start the earth spinning, and then, as you mentioned, go off and, and deal with weightier matters. He's still, he still, he longs to hear our prayers. He longs to commune with us. He wants to, uh, to draw close to us and for us to draw close to him. Yes, yes, and, and if I may quickly add, uh, though for the psalmist, God is everywhere and he feels his presence and love wherever he is in the world. He acknowledges that he experiences God's presence in a very special way when he is in the sanctuary. And that's a great encouragement and a a call for us, especially for us who are a little bit introvert, not to abandon the community of faith, not to abandon going to church and meeting in, in God's sanctuary. Yes, that is a building, but where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, Here I am in the midst of them in a very special uh, uh, way and blessing. So church attendance, church participation. I use the word attendance. That means you're there. That's good. But really participating in the life of the church draws two or three or four or or, or 200 or 300 or 400 people together. And and there's a, a dynamic there in which the Holy Spirit can really work and we can be an encouragement to others and they can be an encouragement to us. So do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Uh, and we see Christ's return coming very, very soon. And it's, it's a very real call for us to, to be a people of faith in a family of faith. 
and that family of faith uh, ought to spend time together. And the sanctuary is, uh, again, as you said, a beautiful picture of that, of, of God's people coming together. They would come to the sanctuary each day, and they would connect with the priests there, and the priests interacted with people and, and made that connection between the Savior and them. If there was somebody who was feeling disconnected, not sure, they know God exists, but he seems kind of distant. What kind of words would you share with them to help them be encouraged that be he cares? Encouraged. Yeah. Yes, well, I would like to say again, every every text in the psalm is, is there that can encourage. But perhaps as we mentioned Psalm 139, why not read something from this psalm? And uh, maybe I will read verses 7 and on, just a few Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, if you are encouraged and think, how can I find God? I don't believe in God. God will find you because he created you. He redeemed you by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. He will find you. Hold on. God has good plans for your life. He loves you. He absolutely does. And if you're wanting to learn more about his love and dig more deeply into the book of Psalms, then make sure you pick up the companion book to the book of Psalms. You can find it very easily by going to itiswritten.shop. And there you will find the companion book on the book of Psalms by Dr. Martin Klingbeil, and it will be an incredible blessing to you. We're going to come back in just a moment as we continue looking at this week's lesson. We'll be right back. They are some of the most famous words ever spoken. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Written by a former shepherd, King David wrote the 23rd Psalm. Don't miss great chapters of the Bible, Psalm 23. As we look at this beautiful psalm, David draws on his experience as a shepherd and draws on the depths of his relationship, his sometimes rocky relationship with the God of heaven. David speaks about God as his shepherd. He says, I shall not want. He said that God, his shepherd, makes him to lie down in green pastures and leads him beside still waters. See a beautiful picture of God, the picture David saw. God as shepherd, as carer, as provider. Don't miss great chapters of the Bible. Psalm 23 on It Is Written TV. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here here and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're taking a look now at lesson number four in our study of the book of Psalms. 
And Slava, we're talking here about God and the challenges that we face in life sometimes, the defender, the deliverer, but life is not all full of sunshine and rainbows. We go through challenges. It's, it's part of life. But when we're going through those challenges, sometimes the question comes up in our minds naturally, why God? Why are you letting me go through this? I've, I've tried to serve you and love you, and I'm, I read the Bible, and I pray, and now I'm going through this very difficult challenge. Where is God when these things happen? Well, I think the history of humanity has examples of people trying to address that question and give an answer. And I'm not sure that we do have a straightforward answer that will satisfy anyone's curiosity and a need. But on the other hand, I believe we have enough revelation in the Bible to provide us peace and assurance uh, in all this misery happening around us. And uh, first thing I would say is we should remember that the Psalms are God's word, not just people's word to God, but God's word to us. Namely, they are Jesus's prayers too. So one of the most desperate psalms, I believe, is Psalm 88. O Lord of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. And the images, and later on it becomes even even harder to read, at least experience and go through such experience. And when we read this as Jesus' prayer, we understand that we are not alone in our pain, in our cries, that this is also God's cry. My God, my God, why? And God is asking this question, why? He's the one who created this perfect, lovely world. How did it happen? And God will ask these questions throughout the Bible as well. Why and how? And maybe a little hint towards the answer is the motive of the great controversy. That yes, God is the sovereign ruler, and yes, He is in control, but that does not exclude the possibility which God allowed that his reign is challenged by evil on a daily basis. And that's why we have this great controversy going between good and evil. And God is there to navigate his children and this world towards the end where he wants the world to bring. And this is the world without suffering, without crying, without sin and evil. But let us remember, when we read these cries for justice, they are our cries, but they are God's cries above everything. So this is another aspect of him drawing close to us and and wanting to be with us, because he's gone through many of the same things that we are going through. In fact, he goes through them manifold times more than we do. On the cross. On the cross, things that I I don't think many of us have experienced. Uh, He was abandoned by everyone, taking all the sins of the world on his own shoulders. So he's, he's born more than any of us are going to ever have to bear, uh, which doesn't decrease the magnitude of our struggles and our challenges. We, we go through many, uh, and, and some people's struggles are 
more significant than ours uh, or difficulties are more significant than ours or, or less so. So understanding the great controversy, as you mentioned, helps us, I think, to understand how God's sovereignty and his goodness and his power and his desire for good don't negate the challenges that we face. Um, Anything else that you could share on that to kind of help us grapple with that? Yes, and you see the key questions that we uh, uh, sometimes or usually want to address in conversations like this with other people is almost our need to defend God, to prove that God is right and that everything is in its place, but not the Psalms. The same Psalm that I read, Psalm 88, verse 13, But to you I have cried out, and then verse 14, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? So the psalmist is not there to defend God. Why? Because he knows that God will defend himself. The, the, the key in the great controversy, I would say, is our attitude. Our, what is tested there is not our knowledge, is our faith. And when our faith is tested, the key is, will we withstand the test? And that's where the Psalms can help us tremendously, because we realize for the psalmist, there are moments, difficult moments, where faith is a deliberate choice to continue trusting the Lord. And this Psalm 88 ends with the thoughts of, I will say praise to the Lord. At the moment, he's like a dead person, but still he chooses faith over despair. He chooses intentionally trust over abandoning his God, who has proven himself in the past time and time again. And this is one of the biggest lessons I drew from the Psalms for myself, that there are times in my life when faith is purely a deliberate choice for God, for faith, over the other things. So there may be things in our lives that cause us to doubt. These things come. It's a natural part of life. But in the times when things are good, we can build up that faith that helps to carry us through the times when doubts may arise. And that's, that's very, very powerful. Friday's lesson mentions something interesting, that some psalms can be used to foster false hopes. How does that happen, and how, how can we avoid um, gaining false hopes from something that we might find in one psalm or another? Well, uh, uh, an interesting example from Jesus' life can, can help us understand that. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, there is that one incident when Satan comes and tells him, well, if you throw yourself from this height, from this cliff, didn't God say in his word, and then Satan quotes uh, Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, that God will send his angels to take you so your, your, your foot will not be stricken by the stone and, and you will be preserved. And what a wonderful Bible quarter Satan is. But you see, the way he quoted the Bible is to combine a Bible promise with a clear temptation of God, going against God's will. And uh, this is a way that sometimes we can 
mistreat the Bible promises and apply them to something that's clearly not God's will. If I know that something is sinful, that something is not bringing praise to God, maybe even harmful to someone, I can never pray the Psalms of confidence, the Lord shall be with you wherever you go and whatever you do and things like that. So in order to pray the Psalms rightly, we need to have a right heart before God and to serve Him in truth and how God wants. Only then we will read the Psalms the way God wants us to read them. You mentioned the importance of having a right heart with God. How might one, I don't know if I want to use the word ensure, it might be a little bit strong, but how might one have a right heart with God so that, so that we don't end up fooling ourselves into falling into that trap? Because as you mentioned, the devil knows the Bible better than any of us do. He can quote it probably in its entirety over and over again. It wouldn't surprise me at all we can trip ourselves up. How can we make sure that our approach is correct so that we can understand these verses in the right context? Yes, yes. The psalmist, whenever in many places would pray, he would say, Lord, you see me and you know me. So being open to God in prayer. As you said, sometimes we fool ourselves, but many times we try to fool God, even, if I can say that way, by pretending to be something we are not. And God does not need that. God wants us, who we are, with what we are, to come like that to Him. And then the psalmist would say in another place, create in me a new heart. If, if, if we are, if you are, aware that that your heart is not right with God and you just don't have the means and the knowledge, sometimes even the will to make it right. Rest assured that that job is not yours at all. The psalmist says, create in me a new heart, meaning it is God who will create that will and want to do his will. And by his grace, he can do that if we will stay on that track of trusting him and abiding in his presence to his word. So we can find our own faith strengthened by reading the Psalms. We can gain a clearer picture of God, of his majesty, but also of his desire to have a personal relationship with us. And as we get to see a clearer picture of who he is and his willingness to condescend to our level and care about us. I mean, it, it is who he is. God is love. He's, he's naturally going to do that. But he reaches out and he cares. When we see that desire, that relationship, it should, it should awaken in us a desire to be close to him and to understand him better and his plan for our lives. And, and because of that, if we face, and I should say when we face challenges and difficulties, we can cling to the God who clings to us. And that should give us an incredible amount of hope. Well, this week, we've been delighted to have you join us once again as we have looked at the challenges that are faced in the Christian walk. We trust that you have been blessed as a result of that. And we're going to continue our study together as we look at more of the Psalms in the very near future. Next week, when we come back once again, we're going to see exactly how we can do that. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.